Welcome, everyone, and thank you for listening and subscribing to Behind the Screen. I am your host, JT Kane, and I'm here with my good friend and producer, Matt Corey, and we're here to talk about auditions, specifically orchestra auditions, which take place behind a screen, hence the name Behind the Screen. Uh, but we, we do hope that our discussions and our guests will be uh, a resource and, and an inspiration for anyone who is currently taking auditions or just interested in the audition process. That was a good job of branding by you, repeating the title of the podcast many times. That was really good. That's new. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, you know, just trying things out. <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> See what sticks. This podcast is brought to you by Insight for the Blind, a very special recording studio based in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where over 100 volunteers produce talking books and magazines for the blind and physically handicapped so that all may read. See for yourself at insightfortheblind.org. Thank you to Insight for the Blind. That's really great. Um, And we are here today uh, with Nathaniel Zilberschlag, who is the principal horn of the Cleveland Orchestra. Welcome, Nathaniel. Thank you guys for having me. This is really great. We're, We're actually really excited that you're here. Firstly, I wanted just to say congratulations to you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, in, in that in winning a job of, with the Cleveland Orchestra at 21? <laughs> yeah, 21. 22 that's, in July. That's amazing. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> Thanks. Congratulations. That's <laughs> Thank awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And then even before you won your the the Cleveland job you were actually principal horn with uh, with Kennedy Center right I was assistant principal horn of the assistant Ken- principal horn Kennedy Center Opera House Orchestra and you won that job at 19 am i right indeed i mean honestly in both places you must have been kind of the youngest person to be there for sure actually um the Kennedy Center i was the youngest member ever hired by the opera orchestra and I don't think that goes for Cleveland, but I was 20 years old when I won that job. <laughs> that's that's crazy. So, I mean, honestly, like, how many auditions had you taken before Kennedy Center? The Kennedy Center was my second professional audition. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> what was your first? Um, New Jersey Symphony. Oh, my God. So, yeah. I'm, I'm curious, what, were the, what was the difference between the two? What was the difference between New Jersey and, and Kennedy Center? Hmm. That's a good question, actually, because I think probably the New Jersey Symphony audition and the Kennedy Center audition were most similar because they both were behind the screen, whereas my Cleveland auditions were not behind the screen. Obviously, the first thing is the repertoire was vastly different, but actually I think in sure. the final yeah. round of all three of those auditions, they all ended with at least the orchestra auditions ended with the long call from Siegfried's, from Wagner's mm-hmm. Siegfried. Um, and the opera audition actually ended with the short call from Wagner's Got to Damrung. So similar music, but just right. you know, different. <laughs> so New Jersey was completely behind the screen? Not in t- uh, up until the final round. The okay. came down. But Cleveland wasn't at all. No. Yeah, I actually had two auditions for Cleveland and neither were screened. Interesting. In yeah. in your let's say like your prelim round, um, that that wasn't behind the screen. It was just was on just on stage. So in Cleveland, yeah. So yeah, actually, I had two auditions for the Cleveland Orchestra. One was in Miami for Just Franz, and then I got asked for about a month later to come back and play for the entire Principal Horn Committee. It was just one round, basically. I see. Yeah. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. Uh, so, so I'm, I'm assuming that that's, did you fly down to Miami when they were in residency? Yes. yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
I guess in January. Gosh, that's crazy. Yeah. January w- w- 20... 2019, I think. Okay. Yeah. So just, la- it, just last year. Yeah. 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 Gosh. Yeah. I was in the middle of my first season before this pandemic happened. Yeah. <laughs> and you were still in, you were still at school in Juilliard, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I graduated, my senior year was pretty nuts at Juilliard because I was kind of living half in DC doing the opera job and, you know, half trying to complete my degree doing lessons in a couple orchestra cycles, um, writing papers, which was, you know, not the funnest thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, and then, yeah, I was kind of being pursued by the Cleveland Orchestra to do these auditions. So it was a really busy and exciting time, but hectic for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I can imagine. I mean, geez. yeah. So um, you talked a little bit about, um, you know, taking like an opera audition versus an, an orchestral, an orchestra mm-hmm. audition. How do you prepare differently for the two? Other than other than the obvious of the of the rep, right? right? Yeah, all, yeah, yeah, yeah. But how? Do, where do you go? Like, what's your mindset when you're going for Cleveland versus going for Kennedy Center Opera? Yeah, actually, I think you already kind of pointed out the biggest difference for both auditions for me was the actual preparation. Mm-hmm. Um, with the Kennedy Center job, I was basically the beginning of my junior year, and you know, it was kind of my goal. The audition was in December, so it was kind of at the end of right before break. So it was kind of my goal for the semester, working with Julie Landsman, mm-hmm. my teacher at school. You know, we had a lot of studio mock auditions. We had a lot of lessons, you know, directed towards that audition that was kind of, you know, whatever we did fundamentals-wise, the end goal of that semester was the Kennedy Center audition. Mm-hmm. And with the Cleveland job, you know, I was just doing so much at the time that I didn't exactly have the lip or the time to be, like, shedding a list every day. And I actually, I got to give a big shout out to Lisa Dempsey-Kane because when they first, you know, when I first agreed to an audition with the Cleveland Orchestra, they were like, okay, great. Um, here's the principal audition horn committee list. And, you know, we're not sure what mm-hmm. you would be playing from it. Um, and basically it was just a list of the entire, you know, French horn orchestral repertoire. Doesn't, not <laughs> excerpts, just like here's Brahms yeah. 1, Brahms 2, Brahms 3, Brahms 4, Strauss, you know, Toulouse, Beagle, Alpine, just kind of the whole rep. So I, they didn't, they don't send you the music. They just send me the list. So I was like kind of baffled, like, oh my gosh, like, what am I going to do? The first thing I did was I went to the Juilliard library and I was like, Lisa, uh, I have this huge list. Like if you could help me like at all kind of get some of the music. And she was like, yeah, just like come back in like 30 minutes. And she came with like a spiraled binder of every piece of music that I needed in that list, which was huge because immediately I could take that list with all the parts and be like, what I do is I rate them like from what I know best to what I know least. So I like rank them in one, two or three. So she gave me the ability to do that like immediately. So thank you, Lisa. <laughs> um, She's going to love you forever for saying that. <laughs> well, it's true. So, um, you know, just for those of you that, that, that don't know, I mean, Lisa, Lisa, we actually, we spoke to Lisa uh, and um, yeah, she's, you know, my wife. So I think she's great also. <laughs> so thank you for just confirming what I, I already Yeah. Knew. She's not my wife, but I also think she's great. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, go, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you Yeah, off. yeah. So, you know, with the Kennedy Center job, there was a lot of, you know, shedding the list with Julie by myself, with peers doing mock auditions. With the orchestra, the Cleveland Orchestra list, 
there was a lot of like visualization and positive visualization happening mm -hmm. and, you know, mental practice because, man, I just didn't have the actual time of day or time of lip being, you know, in the Juilliard Orchestra in the Kennedy Center Opera House writing papers to actually shed the list to what I wanted to, you know, or mm -hmm. as any orchestral musician wants to do before an audition. Of course, I practiced the music, but, you know, you can only practice all of Tulolan Spiegel so much, you know, when they don't give you mm. measure one to measure five right. or something. You know, you I had no clue what they would want to hear in the audition. So what went into that preparation? Let me ask yeah. real quick. Sorry. It just so so what did you do? I mean, obviously for each piece there are things that you know that they're gonna ask. Right. You know. Yeah. So do you yeah. just do you just focus on those, you know, you, do you prioritize that way? Like, okay, we know we're going they're going to ask this this and this and then they might, you know. Yeah, 100% I tried to prioritize the like the famous quote-unquote famous excerpts from yeah. the pieces. And then, you know, past that, a lot of the prep of the pieces was listening and score study, just, you know, getting mm -hmm. to know if I get asked some random part of the piece and, you know, I didn't I didn't maybe play it as much as I wanted. I at least knew exactly how it was supposed to go. Right, right. And I would imagine, um, though, like for, for like an opera orchestra, you're listening to the operas, you know the story, you, you sure. have a really good idea of, of yeah. everything that's going on around. And it's kind of the same with, with an orchestra audition where you've got to yeah. know, you got to know what, you know, the violas are doing and, exactly. and they don't do much. Who I'm playing with, who was playing before me, who was playing after, right. you know. And who's playing with you at this at that exactly. time, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean it's <laughs> you know, it's huge. I, yeah. I mean I listen I listen to a lot of auditions just at New World yeah. and it, it fascinates me how often and not 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 anything against the New World musicians because they're yeah. great. I mean obviously yeah. but yeah. you know it's it's it is fascinating to hear when someone doesn't know what's happening around their mm -hmm. solo. Because yeah. as as much as it is a solo, it's there's still Accompaniment. Yeah, yeah. Musical context is just like huge. Right. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, and then, you know, I do want to say, not to take anything away from you and your amazing ability, but this is a huge endorsement for Julie. Oh, my gosh. Totally, man. You like, know, Julie is an amazing teacher, um, Julie Landsman. Um, and, you know, what the, the, the horn students that she's produced is yeah. countless. I mean, she's been around she is forever. The best. She is the best of the best. I mean, I can't say enough great things about Julie. She, you know, as I say, she gave me every single tool that I needed and I just had to put it to work, really. Yeah, right. You know, and that is, that's the bottom line. And she, yeah, I mean, she's so inspirational in so many ways. <laughs> You're from Maryland, you said, right? Yeah, I'm from Maryland, yeah. You come from a really large family of musicians. Yes, I come from a very large family of professional musicians. I think, you know... I think now we're total actually 17 professional musicians in my family. I believe Jeez. I was the 10th member of my family to attend Juilliard, and there was already 11th that just graduated, I guess, yesterday, or my cousin Alec Manassi. So congrats to him. He just graduated. Um, oh, that's right. Clarinet. You have, yeah, Manassi, Manassi family. Yeah. And we also, we actually have, uh, is it your uncle, Jerry? Jerry Schwartz down in yeah, Miami? Yeah, my uncle. Yeah, totally. My uncle, Jerry. Wait, what? What's going on? I, I'm sorry. I have to stop this this podcast immediately to figure out what's going on here. So, yeah. <laughs> first of all, JT didn't tell me that you were 21. Yeah. <laughs> you got to keep something secret. <laughs> and so, I, when you said Principal Horn of Cleveland, I was like, oh my god, this this is insanity. <laughs> so, what's this about the Manassi family? Yeah. So, actually, I guess you could say. 
my family gets so musical because of these, the three sisters that are, connect a lot of things. So the three Greitzer sisters, my mom, who is the eldest, um, Jody Schwartz, who is Jerry Schwartz's wife, who is the middle, and Pam Greitzer, or Pam Manassi now, um, who is John Manassi's wife. And they, Holy of course, cow. all three, they went to Juilliard, all three sisters, and then their father was Saul Greitzer, who was principal viola of the New York Phil, um, under Bernstein. Um, and As a violist, I, uh, I, I'm actually, now I'm blown away. I didn't know that. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, All of this is amazing, JT. Their, yeah. <laughs> their, their mother was Shirley Greitzer, who was a concert pianist, but she was head of some admissions at Juilliard. Um, I don't remember the exact title. But basically, those three sisters, they... You know, one, my mom married Jeff Silberschlag, a professional trumpet player and conductor. And then Jody, my aunt, Aunt Jody, married Gerard Schwartz, professional trumpet player and conductor, coincidentally. And then Pam, the youngest, married John, who is, you know, concert clarinetist. And and Jerry, Jerry was, was principal trumpet of... Of New York Phil, yeah. Of New York Phil, yeah, before Mm -hmm. before he became a conductor. Which was, and now is down in, in Miami. Jerry conducts the only orchestra that I'm playing in regularly down here, the Boca Sinfonia. Oh, that's awesome. He does that too? Been, he, been every season for like the last five years. He, yeah, conducts, yeah. he conducts the orchestra that I play in the Palm Beach Symphony. He, I can't keep track of all the things he's got going on. <laughs> and University of Miami, where coincidentally Matt and I kind of met. Oh, awesome. We were, we were in, uh, we were in uh, grad school together. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's not even why I wanted to chime in. I wanted to ask you um, something else, but this is like blowing my mind. So there was Kennedy Center and then there was Cleveland. And you had mentioned that the Kennedy Center audition was kind of the focus of like your classmates too, right? Yeah, a couple of them. Yeah, for sure. You won that and then Mm -hmm. you won Cleveland. I'm sure it's a tight-knit group. I mean, that usually is even at the, you know, the competitive places. Yeah. Totally. Did you feel like there was any sort of, not resentment, but, you know, was there a little tense... Animosity or anything? Yeah, just... You know, with every orchestra audition, when there's a winner and there are not winners, I think that, you know, people find disappointment. But honestly, the the vibe and the studio kind of relationship that Julie values and develops with her students, it really kind of goes away from that, you know, resentment, you know, animosity, as we're all really just trying to support each other. And I think that's super special in Julie's studio, especially, that she creates that environment where it's not exactly we're going to audition where, gosh, I hope I win. Obviously, you hope that, but you also, you're kind of like, gosh, I hope someone from the yeah. Landsman studio wins. Yeah. Um, so, of course, I think there is some sadness that it's not me but there also is a lot of pride in that this is coming from my studio and our horn family i'm sure it's a powerhouse studio so the others are yeah. probably thinking well um nathaniel won this one i'm on you know the next, next one's, one's me because we're yeah. like we're all yeah close yeah. exactly yeah totally cool. that's great hey i wanted to ask you talked about positive visualization yeah Right? Yeah. And I, yeah. I actually, I heard, I heard the, uh, the podcast that you did for Cleveland Orchestra Yeah, when you talked a little bit about that, but I'm, I'm really yeah. curious, just could you expand on that a little bit? Because yeah, totally. you know, where did you, where did you first learn about, you know, positive visualization? So Julie, well, number okay. one, um, 
I don't know if a lot of people know this, but she emphasizes a lot in lessons, you know, meditating, um, mm-hmm. energy medicine. I don't know if Donna Eden, if you heard that name, a lot of Donna sure. Eden med- energy medicine. But yeah, the idea of visualization and positive visualization, for me, it originated with our Strauss Horn Concerto number two competition at Juilliard. Basically, at the end of my freshman year, we knew that in the fall coming up that there would be a competition for to play Strauss Horn Concerto number two with the Juilliard Orchestra. And I remember, I think, in one of my last lessons, I was expressing to Julie, of course, how much I want to do that and how much I want to win that. And, you know, she said, well, you should spend the summer obviously practicing it but you should spend the summer putting yourself in a meditative state and visualizing yourself winning it and visualize yourself playing it with the orchestra, you know, get ahead, not even just, you know, winning and stopping there, but you do it and you do it successfully. And honestly, I think when you, when you train your brain so much, you know, day in, day out of like, this is going to happen. This is how I want it to turn out. This is how I want it to look every step of the way. I think it does force your brain to kind of keep negative thoughts at least out, especially on the day, because you just feel, hey, man, I've seen myself win this a hundred times now. Why not see it again? Um, And so I think, you know, it came, it came originated in probably a lesson with Julie around that time at the end of my freshman year. But it's something that I use day in, day out, even in quarantine, Mm -hmm. you know, like I'm trying to positively visualize everything being fine after this national pandemic. And I think it does, you know, it helps. And again, yeah, with the Cleveland audition, especially when I didn't have the time I wanted to or the lip to just, you know, shed every excerpt on that list, I spent a lot of time visualizing the audition going fantastically and visualizing winning. You know, seeing my colleagues be appreciative of what I do, you know, I I take it far. Just I feel like the farther you take it positively, the more it's helpful. But do you think that, like you said, not having not having the lip, not having the chops for the Cleveland Mm -hmm. audition, do you think that actually because you had to take a step back and you had to do this positive visualization, do you think that actually helped you not to blow your chops out? Totally. Yeah, for sure. I think it's easy, especially for a brass player to shed up until you know 10 minutes before the audition right. um but for me i you know i was my chops were elsewhere finishing school and already in a professional job so i think the fact that i just couldn't you know beat the list until i couldn't be beat no more was mm-hmm. you know really helped me <laughs> yeah. i would totally agree and i think it's that's really good advice for for people that are taking auditions, whether it's brass or string or, or, or wind or whatever, I mean, you got to be able to, you got to be able to recoup. You have to have the stamina. You have to be able to play. Yeah, exactly. And even just something Julie emphasizes herself is that no matter how you feel you've prepped or not prepped on the day, you have to trust in your ability. Like you totally, there's nothing more you can do in that moment except right. just trust that you can do this. <laughs> Yeah, no, and that's true. And it's also, I mean, you can be the best horn player, the best whatever, but you're. It all depends on what they're looking for. You, exactly. you can't. You have to give up control. You can't. Yeah. You can't control everything. Exactly. You can't control what they want. You can just control right. what you can put your best self out there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you, after you took your your uh, your Cleveland audition, uh, what what'd you do? 
Because I can imagine you must have been like, just, I mean, the adrenaline must have been running. It's funny, actually, St. Patrick's Day is now a very special holiday for me because I won it on St. Patrick's Day, I guess. Nice. Um, And it's funny because I didn't have much time to celebrate in Cleveland because I was on a flight an hour later because I had to play Eugene Onegin the next afternoon. I had to play assistant next the next afternoon at the Kennedy Center. So there was really oh, no man. stop. I did, of course, there was actually a friend of mine, Pat Furlow, it was his birthday. He actually shares the St. Patrick's Day as his birthday. And I flew into DC and I went straight to his house and we did get some celebrating in. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you got it. I actually, I have a sister who, um, who studied uh, sports psychology and yeah. she did in her, for her doctoral thesis, she actually did a correlation between athletes and, and musicians. And I was one of her, one of her, her test subjects and talking about what you do before, what you do after the kind of during, you know, the performance mm-hmm. thing. And, you know, I mean, there's, there's always the, the discussion of beta blockers, yeah. And that kind of stuff and how to mm-hmm. how to train yourself so you don't need them. Yeah. Right. And I'm sure this this positive visualization yeah. actually helps because you can get more centered. You can exactly. be just just there in the now. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's fascinating to me. I, I think I just think that whole process is, you know, just what people do in order to to, yeah. to prepare and, and then what they do after is so unique. No, I mean I was also super lucky. Um I immediately became like best friends with my section of the Kennedy Center, um, especially like Jeff Pilkington, the principal horn, and Weiping Chow, the second horn, who mm-hmm. actually are both Julie Landsman students, coincidentally. So we yeah. kind of we clicked immediately when I got there. So I like to think that my kind of last few months, I, I got to just enjoy being with them, enjoy that I had, you know, an opportunity further. But it was a little bittersweet because I was so happy there and so happy with them. But, you know, they they definitely helped making me feel celebrated for sure. <laughs> I heard, and I don't know if this is true, but somebody once told me that certain horn sections play on, on a specific horn. True. Is that true? This is very true. Do you have to, um, like, get their horn or change the way that you play in order to fit their sound? So I, so the official horn of actually the Kenny Center Opera House Orchestra and the Cleveland Orchestra is coincidentally the Con AD. Um, and when I w- I got to actually Juilliard playing a Con 8D, and then I had a little time where I strayed away and I played a Patterson, which is a fantastic horn, and it's actually the horn that I won the audition at the Kennedy Center with, and it was mm. so funny because at the end of the audition where they revealed the screen, they were like, oh my gosh, we thought you were playing a Con 8D. So uh, in the end, I did switch. No one forced me, but I just felt, well, you know, their section is Con 8D. I just want to do what they do. So it was kind of coincidental that I had, you know, I switched to a Con 8D for the Kennedy Center job. And then when I got to the Cleveland audition, it was already kind of, oh, sweet, yeah. he's already playing the right horn. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, horn, but horn players actually will, if, they, if they're auditioning for, for a certain orchestra, they, they will actually switch, right, in order oh, so definitely. their sound matches? Definitely. If I hadn't been playing an 8D before the Cleveland audition, I definitely would have brought one to it. Is it hard to switch? What's the difference? I think a lot of people just kind of stick to stereotypes of horns like this horn plays that way and this horn plays that way and I really don't exactly think that's true yeah obviously there are some qualities that yeah that horn does that and that horn does that 
But if you get a horn and you are, I, I don't wanna say stuck with it, but if you are, you know, if, you ha if you're using this horn and you commit to it, at least for me, in about two months time, you will adapt the horn to sound like yourself, truly. Mm -hmm. I mean, whether, you know, this has a little more darkness in the color, whether this has a little more highs to the sound, is smaller than, you know, what actually the person sounds and what their concept is. And for whatever reason, you know, when I showed up for that Kennedy Center job, I was playing a very light brass horn, but my concept, I guess, you know, was more towards whatever they thought the Con 8D would sound like. And mm -hmm. I, I do think that's true. I think that you adapt to what you hear in your ear, no matter what. Yeah. Going back, though, when they took the screen away, they thought you were playing a con. So mm -hmm. doesn't that kind of hint a little bit, at least, that it's kind of um, gimmicky almost, that they're you know not insisting, but they're trying to have this corporate mentality f about the instrument. I mean, can you imagine if they did that with any other instrument, like in the string family? Or yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. Like, you have to play a Strat, or you have to play, right. you know, whatever, Guadagnini. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's it goes to what what you're saying exactly about your approach and your the the way you're playing not not the the instrument itself right yeah again and they they were since you know they were so happy with my concept and etc they weren't they didn't ask me to switch and they were completely mm -hmm. happy with me playing with that i for whatever reason i love the con id and i felt you know why not just all be unified <laughs> right 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 especially um, you know you're reliant on them. You, you want to make a good impression. So that's exactly. one more thing you can yeah. do to kind of exactly. look like a team player. Right. Yeah. But the last thing I'll say on that, and what's always amazed me over the years, like when I was studying at university of Miami, my teacher would take other people's instruments and he played a, a beautiful heckle. Yeah. And he'd be working on people's reeds and he'd grab their instrument and put his reed and then play their $3,000 plastic thing <laughs> yeah. and sound exactly like himself on it. Yeah. An instrument <laughs> that he's never, you know, he's exactly. never touched. Yeah. So to me, I've always like, I've heard those things about, about the horn players playing on the same instrument. And it's, it, to me, it's kind of cute and whatever, Yeah. but it's a little <laughs> yeah. bit kind of, it always has seemed to me like you're not playing on the same mouthpiece, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, that well, yeah, would have yeah. a big impact on the sound as well. For sure, for sure, yeah. So what would happen? Like, uh, let's say let's say you, you know, at Kenny Center, and then it said, oh, well, this, this, this is the horn we play on. I mean, what, happen, what would happen if you didn't switch? Like, you're like, no, I'm good. I'm going to stick to this horn. You know. Would they say anything? Would, would it be an issue? It could be, for sure. It, mm. I mean, I don't know, because I, I would say that I lean more towards the Con 8D as my horn of choice. So, I, yeah. I, it, you know, it didn't. It didn't really phase you. That, that question didn't really come to my mind, yeah, I guess. Right. But yeah, for sure, it could. It definitely could be a place of discomfort. Yeah. I thought sure. I thought Nathaniel was going to say, yeah, I don't really know if it was an issue or not because I was out of there before my ink was dry on the contract. <laughs> 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 exactly. Hey, though, that, that, actually, that actually made me think of, you have a trial with, with Cleveland. Did you have to do a trial with them or was it just actually, like, so no, we, this is I, our guy? Yeah, they, they hired me on the day. Obviously, there's a 10-year process, but it's, yeah. yeah, there was no trial weeks. It was like the first day I got there, I was, I was the principal horn. <laughs> that was it. 
Yeah. Man, that's awesome, man. That's really great. <laughs> and so I mean, you uh, you did your, I think, was it your very, I don't know if your very first concert, but your one of your first concerts was Mahler 5, right? Yeah, it was, my, it was my second, sub second subscription week. The first subscription week actually was Act 1 of Romeo and Juliet, which is no slouch, and then also a gala yeah. concert that week, which was Strauss de Rosencalf Suite, which is really no oh, slouch. So, yeah. so then, and yeah, then we had a day off, and then boom, it was Mahler 5. And it was actually the... Uh, the last gala rehearsal, Franz came up to me and asked to stand in the front. So it was about like yeah. two days before the uh, first rehearsal that I was like, okay, well, I'll be standing in the soloist position now. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you you sat in the section, because um, that solo is not until the th third movement. Yeah. Third movement. Yeah. yeah. So I sat for the end of second movement. I did my little walk up and then end of third movement, walked back. Simple as that. <laughs> that's crazy. That's that's so awesome. I mean, I mean, but honestly, I mean, how nerve wracking, you know? Yeah, I mean, for sure, there's pressures with starting any new job, and especially there's added pressure when it's a second week and you're in the front of the orchestra. Um, but I, I think I've said this before, but what I what I really tried to tap into, other than the positive vis visualization, was you know the feeling of like how awesome is this? Like how Mm -hmm. what an awesome privilege like i'm getting to play Mahler five for the very first time with like my favorite orchestra it's like it, i i, I yeah. tried you know obviously there i was stressed and felt the pressure but i really you know tried to go to that opposite end of my brain where i was like this is awesome like this is actually very very cool so actually you know it's interesting i know that um for the solo bows mike Sachs gave up his for you yeah right? yeah I don't know if you know this, you probably don't, but, um, so I bring in, I hire all these coaches to come into new world and Mike yeah. Sachs has, has been a longtime coach oh, that sweet. I bring in every year. Yeah. And I talked to him and I said, Hey, yeah. how is, how is Nathaniel doing? Yeah. yeah. And he was like, he goes, I have to tell you, you know, usually he goes, you sit down, you know, you got a, you get a new principal, they sit down, there's some adjustment. He goes from the first five minutes of playing <laughs> that whole section just shifted and came together and it was just That's one awesome. section yeah so i mean from the <laughs> moment i mean i tell you yeah he, he he was he's he's been a fan since since the moment awesome. you, you played you man played, i've been yeah. a fan of his since i uh, probably the longest i can remember certain my memory he's, starts he's great. <laughs> yeah no mike mike's the best but anyway yeah. i thought you should know that that's awesome because, thanks yeah 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 what's next like you got the job right yeah yeah. What do you do? How do you maintain? How do you keep, what do you do? Like, what's your practice schedule now? Now that you've got, yeah. other than practicing, obviously the stuff that you're going to be playing every week, you know. Right, you right. Yeah. I'll try to go back in time before I was, you know, in quarantine because obviously a lot of my prep now is staying in shape enough to at any moment mm. when they say, all right, well, we're back. Then like I can yeah. be ready. And of course I'm trying to get ahead of next season's rep, et cetera, like you said. But on the job, my practice routine, uh, the the playing I was doing at home, again, obviously I would learn the music for upcoming week, but it was, you know, much less of a practice routine than what you say do at Juilliard because, again, mm -hmm. you have either a double rehearsal on, you know, a heavy classical music repertoire or you have a rehearsal and then a concert. So, again, like there isn't much room to be wasting your face shedding Right. Um, obviously, you know, I do my morning routine to keep the facility up, but yeah, I, again, like a lot of mental score study, a lot of mental practice, just like, you know, everyone in the Cleveland orchestra, if you're there, 
five, ten years, you've probably played each piece about three times. And most of these pieces I'm playing for the first time, so I got to at least fake it like I've... I've played it three times, so that's what I that's yeah. what I'm in there practicing, just like listening and just trying to get the music in my bones, really. Mm. <laughs> Do you have like a go-to orchestra that you listen to for recordings? You know, honestly, historically, I listened to the Cleveland Orchestra because yeah. like that Myron Bloom horn sound was like what I tried to emulate. Obviously, I listened to a lot of old Met recordings with Julie, um, but that Cleveland sound for horn was like what I grew up on. And, you know, that Con 8D, similarly when New York Phil was also all Con 8Ds, that I listened to a lot of New York Phil, like James Chambers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I was in school um, and we'd have an orchestra cycle, the first thing I'd try to find was an old Cleveland recording just to yeah. hear what that section would do. You're there, so you've got a, you, you got your tenure uh, yeah. that, you're, that you're going through now. Yeah. Um, I'm sure like a couple years, I would imagine. Yeah, or? I think, suppo- well, you know, n- you normally it's a year and a half process. You know, it was going very well. I was getting all good, all good things, but I don't know exactly, you know, what the yeah. pandemic timeline, how that'll affect it just, just sure. time wise. <laughs> as far as your philosophy is, you know, cause there are so many people that talk about tenure and, you know, keep your head down, just do your job or whatever like yeah. that, you know, yeah. do you have, I mean, what, what, Obviously, the goal is get your contract, get your tenure. Yeah. Um, some people are are more apt to taking on some different roles in in committees and things like that. Yeah, you know, yeah. Be more more involved, community yeah. engagement, those kind of yeah. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Committee wise, I don't think you can actually be on a committee until you're tenured mm-hmm. in Cleveland. Um, but I think that's a good thing. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, yeah. I, my attitude going in day in day out is. Again, the things that I can control are myself. And yeah. I go in trying to, you know, it's going to sound corny, but I try to be the kindest, most, you know, responsive principal someone can be. And I don't think, I, I know that it's not, you know, due to my tenure process. That's my attitude. And I yeah. feel if you bring positive energy to people, you should receive positive energy back. And if mm-hmm. you're not, you know, that might be their problem. <laughs> um, no, that's, that's awesome, man. That's, that's yeah. really great. Yeah. So you wanted to be a a center fielder with the Yankees, huh? Oh, man, I really did. And (laughs) I can't tell you how much this pandemic is making me, like, want it even more. (laughs) I just, you you know... You you, you played a lot of of baseball when you were in... Did you play in high school? I actually stopped the second year of high school just because I needed to go to a summer music festival. (laughs) (laughs) But I've got to imagine, because, again, thinking about, you know... um, Playing sports, that just that whole correlation of of of, of being an athlete and being a, a, a performer, be, being a performer on both sides yeah. of right. I mean, it's it's so important in the mental capacity and just that having that that focus. Yeah. Uh, for both, you, you really need it. Yeah. When I was teaching, I don't I don't really teach anymore. When I was teaching, I encouraged my my students to play any sport because yeah. it's it's so helpful. Not only just to keep in shape, you know, yeah. but also just to be a team player and to, all that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, uh, 100%. I actually, a lot of my lessons, especially early going, because Julie knew that I was a big baseball player, was, you know, <laughs> finding analogies that connected. Like if something, I wasn't getting something, you know, she would say, you know, a big thing with her is like timing and subdividing. So, she would say, you know, imagine, you know, starting this excerpt like you're winding up about to throw a pitch and how how mechanically you would think about everything. You wouldn't just, you know, go in and throw the ball. 
you'd have your whole wind up and you'd have your whole setup. And if you kind of neglected the setup, you know, you wouldn't get, you wouldn't get the right. product that you wanted from that pitch. Yeah. So, right. yeah, I mean, I think about sports, not only like physically playing, but you know, if this, obviously the pandemic is giving everyone a lot of time to think, but man, I've been thinking like sports is amazing. I'm a huge sports fan, obviously, but you know, we football season, there's one game a week and the rest of the week is we're consumed with people telling us how great this game is going to be and how awesome this game is going to be and why we need to see it. And honestly, I think that's where classical music needs to go. I don't know if we need an ESPN for classical music, but we need people telling people, not just this is a great concert, you got to go see this concert, but like, man, this concert is amazing. You know, Nathaniel just right. played... Here's why. Yeah. Nathaniel just played Strauss last week. Like, oh, maybe it's going to be, you know, maybe his lips are a little more tired this week. Let's see how it goes. You know, it, you know they got to create a human interest story out of it. Um, man, I'll do it. Yeah. Sign, yeah, sign me up. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, somehow I know that Tom Brady is already in Florida. He's got his team. And he's like, they're already working on how they're going to be, you know, meshed together. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. of course, in a like, few weeks time, I will be in Cleveland, like working with the musicians, like trying to figure out like what we're going to do, how we're going to, when the pandemic is over, how we're going to be back to where we were, you know? Yeah. I wanted to ask you, because it, it's come up a couple of different times about chops and about not being able to practice as much as, as you want. Mm-hmm. I don't think, especially the casual listener to this program, I don't think would understand that the French horn is a lot more physically taxing than other instruments, just yeah. physically on your face. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what when you're in tip-top shape and you're practicing for an audition, what's like the maximum that you can do in a day? Honestly, I think of actual playing, it's probably about three hours. Okay. Which is way, I was way thinking, diff- definitely thinking between two and three. I wasn't yeah. sure if it, if it yeah. was that much. But yeah. th- and now that wouldn't be like a sit down and play for three hours. It would be kind of spread out. Right. In yeah. It would probably be, you know, my dad's biggest thing, he, you know, he always says, rest as much as you play. So if you, you know, you play 20 minutes, you take 20 minutes off. You know, same, yeah. play an hour, you got to take an hour off. <laughs> as a follow up to that, when you're off, yeah. Uh, I know I, you know, as a bassoon player, I can put the instrument down for a couple of weeks and pick it back up and not really have lost a lot physically. Right. Yeah. With the horn, how quickly do you lose it? Yeah, I would say that's the most frustrating part about brass instruments for me because you lose it for. I mean, it's different for everyone, but you know, if I take a day off, I got. I need a. I need a week to be back to where I was. Um, wow. the, the fall off wow. is quick. So yeah, I'm, I am here in quarantine practicing my butt off every day just because I don't know when they will be like, all right, we need, you know, it's hard to say it's probably a long time when will we be together as a full orchestra again, but I don't know when they're going to be sure. like, all right, we want you guys to do a trio live stream, like in a week or something. And I mm-hmm. would, if I had been taking a day off or two days off, which isn't unheard of, I would need, you know, like a week or two to ramp it back up. Wow. That's, that's wild. I had no idea it was that extreme. And I mean, I know I've heard other people, other brass players allude to having to 
bring their instruments with them on vacation yeah. and that kind of thing. Yeah. And it's just a little bit of a foreign concept to me. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's foreign to JT as well. Oh, as a violist? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm going I'm going a good two years without practicing. And uh, I, right back in it, right back in it. One day, that's all I need. <laughs> same strings, same bow hair. Yeah, this is this is why this is why I, I am where I am. Yeah. And you are where you are. <laughs> yeah, same. I've already had that thought a million times during this 45 minutes. <laughs> oh. Before we wrap it up, I just you, yeah. what give all those horn players out there or in general, the anyone anyone take an audition, what what kind of advice do you have? You know, similarly to the trust conversation that I was talking about earlier, when I get to the audition, I just try to not think about anything else except singing. I think as musicians, we really th need to think vocally, and I think most of us do think vocally. And, you know, even as instrumentalists, we sing every day, even if it's just in the shower. So I truly, I get to the audition, and I'm like, well, I'm going to just sing my heart out, and I'm going to be the best singer that I can be. And if it's not what they're looking for, then it'll be what someone else is looking for. No, that's great. Dude, this has been great. This has Sweet. really been, yeah. A lot of fun for me. Yeah, and me too. <laughs> so let's recap real quick. Yeah, let's do it. Positive visualization. Number one. Number one. Mm -hmm. You're the youngest player ever in any orchestra to win. I'm just generalization. Yeah. General. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just you're the, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, St. Patty's Day is your favorite day of the year. Heck yeah. Heck favorite yeah. holiday. For sure. Um, <laughs> and you sing in the shower. Did I, yeah. did I cover it all? I, I think that's, that is really, that's me in a nutshell, <laughs> for sure. Awesome. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, awesome. what do you think? So get, let's go, uh, I don't know, 10 years down the road. You think you'd ever take another audition? Are you, are you, you're, uh, man, things would have to change for that to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I would. I would I can't see that happening anytime soon. <laughs> you know, and, and and Cleveland Cleveland's lucky to have you for that. You know? Hey, thanks. It's it's awesome. Yeah, thanks, it's, it's been great what you've done. Yeah, really, it's really inspiring. I think, and I think thanks. everybody listening would would agree that uh, you know, kind of taking you know some of the things that you said and and really take it to heart. Thanks. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you, thank you guys for having me. All right. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, look, it was great to meet you. Yeah. Finally, after great hearing to meet so much you about guys. you. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and thanks for joining us on uh, on behind the screen. Thank you guys. My pleasure. <laughs>